about Star Trek. My name is Christian Fox, and this is the show where I yell at you about all things Star Trek for your amusement, so I'm not yelling at my friends and family who don't want to hear my thoughts and theories on this fantastic franchise. Today, I want to talk about Brent Spiner's new book called Fan Fiction, A Mem Noir, and explain why I think it is an absolute must-read for all Trekkies. But before I get into all of that, make sure you get out of your space pajamas, put on your shiniest pair of boots, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, maybe some iced tea if you want to pull the Archer Maneuver, and brace for impact, because things are about to get nerdy. A few weeks ago, Dan Leckie, a.k.a. the Scotch Trekker and friend of the show, hit up a group of writers, myself included, who all write for his fan website called WarpFactorTrek.com and said, hey, does anyone want to read Brent Spiner's new book, Fan Fiction, and review it? So I said, sure, why not? I love Brent Spiner, love learning about data and reading about how Spiner became data and all of the stuff that goes into that. I haven't read a book for pleasure in quite a long time, and I wanted to change that. And I thought it would be fun to actually do a written review. I did a written review for a Spider-Man game back in the day in around 2005, but haven't really reviewed anything since, at least not in a written form. So I thought, yeah, this would be fun. And I said, sure, I'll do it. He sent me the book, knocked it out pretty quickly. And now I have a lot of thoughts about it. But first thing I want to say, as I said at the top of this episode, if you like Star Trek, which I'm assuming you do because you're listening to my podcast, then you absolutely owe it yourself to check out fan fiction and mem noir. The book is fantastic. I don't want to give too much away in this discussion because I think it really does make it even more enjoyable when you don't know what you're going into, what really to expect in this mem noir. But I do want to give you a little bit of what I liked and what I didn't like about the book as I did in the review. But you can check out the written review if you'd like to on warpfactortrek.com. The book itself is really quite fascinating because it's a combination of memoir and also a crime noir thriller story, I guess if you can put it that way. Hence his creative title of A Mem Noir, which I think is brilliant and I wish it's something I came up with. It's a really interesting combination where it's written by Spiner about himself, but going through this sort of fictitious event in his life that was supposedly inspired by true events. But it feels strangely real. Basically, it's just, it's about Brent Spiner as Brent Spiner, set in the year 1991 during the the filming of season four of TNG. And it's a story about him dealing with a stalker. And the stalker was unusual. Of course, most stalkers are probably going to be very strange. But this stalker in particular is strange because she claims to be Lol. And Lol, as you might remember, is Data's daughter that he builds in the episode The Offspring. And so it's basically about his experience dealing with this stalker and trying to get to the bottom of who it is, what's happening, but also maintain some level of sanity and still do his job as he's supposed to do because he's Data and he has a responsibility to be Data on Star Trek, which to us is glamorous, but to him, you know, while he loved it, it's still a job, like working 15-hour days. And so it's him managing how to actually do that while trying to get to the bottom of who the stalker is. The stalker story is pretty interesting. It's very dark. It's very noir-esque, hence the name. But it's 
it's also surprisingly funny. Spiner, the way he writes, is just so clever at writing scenes or experiences in such a way that you get the sense of how much turmoil and stress this is causing Spiner, and you understand how serious the situation is, but he adds little moments of humor that make it a little less harder to get through. And in fact, make this book hilarious, which I think is one of the biggest feats that you can tell a very tense story, but also make it very funny. That is a huge strength that I think Spiner delivers on and is just really, really good at showcasing his talent for that. Outside of the humor and the stalker story itself, there are some things that I just really, really loved about the book and really just stood out to me. One of the the things that stood out to me is being able to see inside Brent Spiner's mind because it's Brent Spiner writing about himself in the first person. So reading it, you really do get a sense of who he is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what is he into. For example, like I learned a lot about his interest in like classic Hollywood. I didn't know he was a movie buff and I relate to anyone who's a movie buff on any level because I love movies. So it was really cool to see that he was into that. I got a sense of what he liked romantically. What kind of partners was he looking for or what was he looking for in a partner? I just got really into the inner workings of Spiner, which was very strange because it's almost like having a one-on-one conversation with him. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've been listening to one podcast, well, my favorite podcast actually for the last, I would say about six years. And through that time, I've gotten to know the host and really understand who they are and know so much about their life and just what they are like day to day, even though I've only met them once and had a brief conversation. But it's a very strange when you get that understanding of someone and you get the understanding of Spiner here. It's almost like if Spiner had his own podcast and you listen to it every week, you would sort of get the same understanding of who he is and what he's all about. So that was really quite interesting. It's just, I don't know if I'm making sense when I'm talking about this, but I find it very fascinating to be able to get an insight into Spiner's mind. And and as I said, to know that he's a huge movie buff, to know that like... <laughs> I guess I don't know if this is still the case, but at least in 1991, when he would go to bed, he would sleep in his boxers, (laughs) like things like that. Like, what does he do when he gets home? Well, he puts on a a movie and he'll order pizza, like things that you just don't think about or you don't really know about when you hear about Brent Spiner as Data. He's Data, for goodness sakes. He's someone that looked up to my entire life. And so to be able to get an insight into what his daily life is like, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what makes him laugh, hearing this really intimate story about his experience with his stepfather, which is pretty sad, but to see that he's been able to to work through it. So just hearing and getting to know him as a real person has just been an amazing experience. And I'll, I'll stop going on about it, but I think that is probably to me the biggest selling point is that you really get to understand who Brent Spiner is. The other thing that I loved about this book and that I found really quite exciting and really insightful, which is understanding how close Spiner and the rest of the castmates are with each other. Like I know from watching the crew at various conventions that they're all very close. They all get along. They're they're like family with each other. But I really didn't know how close they were until reading this book. Throughout the book, as the situation gets more and more dire, Spiner starts getting more and more intense. And you can see that it's becoming apparent because his castmates start to worry more and more about what he's going through. And everybody in the book is shown to be incredibly supportive. At one point in the story, Spiner has a miserable night. He has a date with someone, but it ends badly. 
And so he calls up calls up Jonathan Frakes, aka Riker, and says, Hey, can I come to your place? And he's like, Sure, no problem. We'll talk, we'll sort everything out. And this is at like ten thirty at night, which you know, to me is late. It might not be late to you because I know everybody stays up really late these days. But but to them it's pretty late because yeah, they have to get up early in the morning to go shoot Star Trek. So the fact that Frakes was so willing to have Spiner crash on his couch and just, you know, really, really get things sorted out for him is a is a huge statement as to how how much they value each other. And they also call him uh, Spiny, which I think is funny. And, and Brento, I think, is one of the things that Frakes calls him. So you just really get a sense that, yeah, these guys are friends, but they're, they're really our family because they hang out with each other all the time. And they don't seem to, to mind that. So I, I think that is fantastic. And just everybody, as I said, everybody's so supportive. As I said, Frakes, you know, was willing to have him crash on his couch late at night. Kate McFadden, a.k.a. Dr. Crusher, had some heart-to-hearts with him. Marina Sirtis, and I'm saying Marina and I'm pausing because I always forget how to pronounce her last name, aka Troy, was like, all right, cool. Like, we'll be there for you. We'll be supportive of you. She'll make jokes. But, you know, she has she has Spiner's back. And I think that is all really, really great because, you know, obviously, as I said, we get to see this in in real life. But there's always a part of you that wonders how much of this is an act and how much of it is real. But clearly based on this book, even though it is a fictional story, it's pretty clear that this relationship is is 100% real and that they really are supportive of each other the way they are in the book. And outside of how close they are and how much they care about each other, they really do have some funny interactions uh, that happen. Uh, there's a great moment early on in the book where Spiner is dealing with this horrendous odor and he's like i don't know what to do so he goes over to lavar's cabin lavar burden aka Jordy laforge and says to lavar hey lavar i've got this situation there's something smelly in my in my trailer can you come help me out and lavar i guess he's really into um incense and uh i guess aroma not aromatherapy but spirituality i'm not sure what you would describe it as and so he he has a lot of various like incense and like tea leaves and just stuff that is supposed to help ward off evil spirits if i understand correctly and so brent's like hey you gotta help me out this is going on and (laughs) so lavar snapping out of this meditation is like all right what's going on brent explains you know he gets his stuff ready and then i was like all right brent let's get these mother effers and then barges into the to, to Spiner's trailer and tries to deal with the problem. So that I thought that was a really funny moment. It was a moment again of showing that they're supportive of each other, but also seeing that yeah, Lavar is a funny person outside of Star Trek because you don't get to really see that in the show. There's another moment where where Spiner and and. Michael Dorn, a.k.a. Worf, are hanging out in their trailers, or not their trailers, but they're in the makeup chairs getting ready for a scene. And Dorn loves to do uh, crosswords. So as he's doing his crosswords, Spiner was just like saying things just to get him going, to get him agitated. Because apparently one of his favorite things to do is just to mess with Dorney in the the chair. And uh, I called him Dorney. And that's another great thing is like... Frakes calling Brent Brento or, or Spiny. They call Dorn Dorney. Another great thing is they call uh, they call Picard or not Picard, but Patrick Stewart Baldy, old Baldy. So you really again you get a sense of how how close they are. But it is nice to see that they they do enjoy messing with each other. Spiner likes messing with Dorn when they're getting their makeup done. 
I don't even know what else to say, just that it's a, it's a really touching scene. But of course, nothing is perfect, and I did have some minor gripes with the story. One of the things I would have liked to have more of, of course, as with all great works of fiction and with almost everything, it isn't perfect. There are some minor gripes that I do have. One of my gripes with the story is that I would have liked more behind-the-scenes stuff. There is some behind-the-scenes stuff, so you get a sense of what it's like for Biner to be in the makeup chair, what goes into the actual makeup process, the discomfort that he gets wearing the contacts, but I would have liked more of that. And I understand that this is a, a fictional story, but I think I would have liked more insight as to what it's actually like to film a scene. What goes into that, even if it is in a fictionalized story. So I would have liked more of that. Another thing that I would have liked more of is just more interaction between Spiner and the rest of the crew. I think it's great. I think there's a lot of great interactions with them, as I talked about. You really get a sense of how close they are. I would have liked to have found out more about the impact that Spider Stalker is having on everyone else. How is uh, Sirtis feeling when she's filming a scene? What kind of impact is it having on on Stuart when, when he's trying to be the captain of the Enterprise? You know, that kind of thing. So I would have liked to have more understanding of just the impact that Brent having a stalker was having on the rest of the crew. And I would have just liked maybe some more interactions between them on set or or at parties or, you know, whatever, just to see what kind of conversations they have, you know, or that they have had in real life. The final thing that I would have, the final gripe that I had, the final gripe that I had with, with fan fiction and mem noir is that I would have liked more understanding or more specifics as to what was real and what wasn't real. Very early on in the story, Spiner says that this is a work of fiction. So I totally respect that and take him at his word for it because, well, Spiner wouldn't lie about that. But I do get the sense that some of the things are real. Like, for example, the interactions that he has with the rest of his castmates are very much real. Like, these are interactions that he likely would have had with them. And the way he feels about them in the story is probably how he feels about them in real life. So I know those things are true, but the stuff with the stalker, was it true? Is there some some aspect of it that's true? Are there some elements that he's experienced in his real life that relate to this or that, you know, gave him this idea? I don't know. I'd love to know more about that. And maybe one day I will know. But I would have liked to just have a better understanding of what was real and what wasn't and where this idea came from. But I guess it just it just goes to show you how great this book is when it feels like this is something that really happened. And it just shows how great Spiner is at writing a, a good story. But even with all of those things, it doesn't take away from the enjoyment that I had. And and I gotta say, like, as I said earlier, if you like Star Trek, if you like Spiner, if you're a data fan, then please, please check this book out. And I can almost guarantee you that if you read fan fiction, a mem noir, that you will have the same big goofy grin that I had. And now let's move into this week's edition of Wait, what did you say? For this week I thought it would be fun to pick a data technobabble scene because I've spent the last 20 minutes or so talking about fan fiction, talking about Brent Spiner. But I also wanted to get some technobabble that was touching and that really showed how much the crew of the Enterprise really cares about data. And to do that, I picked dialogue from the episode Time's Arrow 
part one. Now, this episode is not great. I watch it sometimes when I'm like, I want to watch Star Trek, but I've seen every other episode to death. Maybe I'll watch Time's Arrow. All right, I'll put it on. Okay. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. You know, it's there. I remember eating, or not eating, I guess, drinking an ice cap while watching it once, maybe 10 years ago. And so now when I watch the episode, I still want an ice cap. Very relevant to this conversation, but it's an episode that's kind of there. But it does have some very touching Technobabble dialogue. And the scene that I want to uh, talk about comes from about midway into the episode after Data and the rest of the crew find his head as an artifact from 500 years in the past. And basically what's going on is everybody's kind of freaking out because they're like, oh, Data, you're going to die. You're going to die. Like, there's there's no way of preventing it. Like, how are you processing it? And Data's actually pretty cool about it, of course, because he's Data and why wouldn't he be cool? But he talks about why he is relieved that he's going to die, knowing that that eventually one day his life will come to an end. Something that he's always worried about not being a possibility, worrying about having to outlive his friends and then having to find new friends and then outliving those friends because potentially he could go on to live forever. So in some ways, death is kind of a relief, the fact that he will die at some point. The dialogue I want to talk about actually comes from Troy talking to Riker about how Data feels about friendship. And they're having a conversation about this in the Turbolift. And Troy says, Have you ever heard Data define friendship? No. How did he put it? Something like... As I experience certain sensory input patterns, my mental pathways become accustomed to them. The inputs are eventually anticipated and even missed when absent. I find this scene really touching just because everything in that scene, everything from Troy understanding how Riker is feeling, from Troy understanding how Data fuse friendships, and Troy's ability to even do a pretty good Data impression just shows how much they care about him. And they show that, yeah, like he's not just an android to them. He's not just a piece of technology. He is someone who is valued by the crew and who they consider to be a friend. And and to me, that is just incredibly touching that they care so much about him that they can have these conversations and this idea, or, or not idea rather, but the fact that the other crew members in various scenes are really upset about Data potentially dying. And everybody's really distressed about it, which I think just goes to the very heart of what Star Trek is, where it really is about family and, and which I don't know you can say the same thing about a lot of shows and even Fast and the Furious always says that, well, it's about family, which it is. But Star Trek really is about family and about working together and trying to make a difference, but also looking up for each other. And this scene really does a good job of explaining that and and really showing the audience that, yeah, they really care about Data. They love Data and and they don't want him to die. But what about you? Are you going to pick up fan fiction? Are you going to read it? Are you interested in it? Or is it something that you're, you know, you're not too sure about? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Also, let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you like about the show, what you're not liking about the show, because ultimately, my goal is to make a show that you enjoy listening to. And in the paraphrase words of Captain Kirk, I shall see you out there. That away.